0: Well, Happy New Year, everyone. I have a sneaking suspicion that uh, New Year's resolutions probably provide more benefit to the economy than what they do to most people who make the New Year's resolution. Uh, In the first week of January, gym memberships soar, dieting programs gain heaps of new participants, nicotine supplements sell themselves off the shelves. New Year's is a time when we make that commitment to make those long needed changes that we all feel that we need to make in our lives. New Year is about an opportunity for a new beginning. And for most of us, that's actually, that's a pretty good thing, isn't it? Like a hope to make a new beginning, a new start, can leave behind what what we've done in the past, this is gonna be something new. Uh, Now, one of my sons, and you may even be able to guess which one it is because he can be a little bit blunt at times, Um, but when we were talking about what I was going to be preaching on today and, and how it was going to be about new beginnings because it's New Year's Day and so we'd talk a little bit about New Year's resolutions, he put on his preaching voice and he says, has anyone here made any New Year's resolutions? Well, if they're not to do with God, they're not worth having. And that was the end of his sermon. And I said, that's a pretty good message, Ben. Oops, I've just given it away. Uh, That's a pretty good message, Ben. Do you want to preach on Sunday? And the fact that I'm here, you can probably know what his answer was. But even though that is rather blunt, it it is a pretty good message. Um, If your New Year's resolution isn't to do with your Christian walk, why isn't it? What? could possibly be more important than that what could possibly be more important than doing something to to make our relationship with God just that little bit better see if we don't make these sorts of commitments is is it sort of like saying well I'm actually pretty content with how I am with God I think I've sort of gotten there and, and I don't need to go any further with God but you see The Lord is always, always wanting to take us that little bit further. He wants to take that little bit of faith that we've got and increase that faith. He wants to take those few talents that we have and that we're already using, and he wants to give us more talents and more gifts and to be able to use more of them. He wants to give us more opportunities to share our faith. He wants to give us more opportunities to depend on him for his grace and his provision. He wants us to experience more of the freedom that he wants to give us. He he wants to give us more opportunities to serve. And he wants us to experience more and more the love of other Christians. And he wants us to love other Christians even more. And he wants us to grow in knowledge. He wants us to begin to plumb the depths of the Lord and, and his purposes. Somebody once said, if you're not moving forwards, you're moving backwards. There is no standing still in the Christian faith. I tend to think of it a, bit, a little bit like, you know, when you're in the surf, and while you're walking along, walking in the surf or swimming in the surf, everything's fine. But if you just stand still in the one spot in the surf, what happens? You just get buried a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper. And we've probably all seen photos of four-wheel drives that got swamped on Fraser Island. They just get buried deeper and deeper in the sand. And that's what it can be like in our Christian walk with God. If, if we're not moving on, if we're not growing in the faith, if we're not getting stronger in the Lord, if we're just standing still, we're not standing still at all. We just sink. Now, I just want to share today two stories of new beginnings. The first is the story of the woman caught in adultery. Coming from John chapter 8. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now straight away you sort of think, hmm, I wonder where the bloke is. I mean, they caught her in the very act. There has to be a bloke there somewhere. Why isn't he hauled up there? He says, now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Well, that was sort of like a half-truth. The full truth is that she and he were both to be stoned together. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger in the dirt. And they continued to ask him, and he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote in the dirt. But when they heard it, they went away, one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with a woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to a woman, Where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, "'Neither do I condemn you. "'Go, and from now on, sin no more.'" Every one of us, at times, can feel unworthy before God. We it, it, it wouldn't be normal if we didn't. You now, how can we possibly stand before a holy God and not become very aware of our own sinfulness? And sometimes the devil plants a little lie in our mind That lie that says you can never be forgiven for what you've done. That lie that says God doesn't want you, you're too evil, you're too sinful, you're too broken. It's that lie that leaves us feeling dirty, unloved, unwanted, hopeless. Well in times like that we just need to experience the same forgiveness that Jesus showed to that woman who had been caught in adultery. There is no stain of sin that the grace of God cannot scrub away. Not one of us is beyond redemption. There once was a painter who was doing the dodgy. He was saving money by thinning the paint down. Anyway, he was the lowest quote, so he won the contract to paint the local church. And sure enough, he used the thinned down paint. And just as he was finishing off the last few brushstrokes of the job, an enormous storm blew up and there was thunder and there was lightning and the rain poured down and the deluge washed all of the dodgy paint off the church and down onto the ground. And then with an enormous clap of thunder, a bolt of lightning struck his trestle and he fell to the ground. And as he picked himself up off the ground, he he (gasps) realised... This must be the judgment of God for using that dodgy paint. He cried out, Lord, what should I do? And this voice boomed down from heaven. Repaint, repaint, and thin no more. In Jesus Christ there is a new beginning away from sin. There is no sin that can't be removed. And when we confess our sins, Jesus says to us, neither do I condemn you. And from now on, sin no more. It's a new beginning. It's a new beginning which is only made possible through Jesus Christ. A new beginning which means we can leave our old sins behind. We are forgiven of these. And we can move on in the newness of life, a new person changed and renewed. The second story of New Beginnings I want to share with you is Peter after his denial of Jesus. On the night before Jesus was crucified, Jesus warned the disciples that they're all going to fall away from him. And Peter said, not me, not me, I won't. Even if all the others do, I won't. And Jesus said, Peter, before this night is over, you're going to deny me three times. No, no, I wouldn't do that. I'd go to the death before I denied you. But of course, we know what happened, don't we? During the evening, it happened once, Peter denied him. And then it happened a second time, Peter denied Jesus again. And then we pick it up in Matthew 26, where it says, and then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered what Jesus had said. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went and wept bitterly. Can you imagine how Peter felt? You know, most times we sort of read stories about people in the Bible, and I actually think we have trouble even imagining how they must have felt. But I don't think too many of us will have trouble with this because I reckon most of us have had, all of us, have had first hand experience of failing Jesus. I know I'm very experienced at it. We've all failed Jesus, we all let him down. Christ has given everything for us, and yet I know I've failed him, and you know you've failed him. And sometimes we just feel so terrible. I failed him again. This is the times when we need to be reminded that our God is the God of new beginnings. After Jesus was raised from the dead, Jesus met Peter on the beach and he said, reading from John chapter 21, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he'd said to him the third time, do you love me? he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you to where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death, He was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Now, I think most of us are pretty familiar with that reading, but something that we may not pick up on um, is there's something really deep going on here. This is not just about Peter denying Jesus three times, and so Jesus gave him three opportunities to profess his love for him as if one equals the other out. It's got much more to do with than just professions of love and commitment. Professions of love and commitment can be very empty at times. Like when Peter, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he professed his love for Jesus. He professed his commitment for Jesus, but it was empty. He was professing something that he couldn't keep. There's something really deep going on here. I know I've talked to you a few times about the different types of, of the word love in the Greek. And there's two different Greek words used here for the word love. Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you agape me more than these? Now, this agape love, this self-sacrificing love, it's a sacrificial love. It's not so much a feeling as what it is an act of the will. This agape love is the sort of love that God has for us. When it, when John 3.16 says that God so loved the world, this is that word, God so loved the world, he so agape the world that he gave his only son. And Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me with this self-sacrificial love, with this love that is going to cost you dearly, this love which you will always put me first rather than anything else and there's something very honest about peter's reply peter replies yes lord you know that i phileo you it's a different type of love altogether jesus is asking for this self-sacrificial love and peter says i owe you now this phileo love is i love you like a brother I am affectionate towards you like a brother. Two different types of love. And so Jesus asks him again, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Do do you love me with a love that is always going to give of itself and is always going to put me before you? And Peter is honest again and he replies, Yes, Lord, you know I phileo you. I'm affectionate towards you like I am towards a brother. But then on the third time, Jesus lowers his bar, lowers the bar. And the third time, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you finally owe me? Do you love me like a brother? And it's like Peter goes, ah, now you've got it. You do understand, yeah, where it says you know all things. You've got it. You understand it. I love you like a brother. Can you see what's happening here? Peter had wimped out. He had already made this confession that he was never going to desert Jesus and he was going to stand strong, but he'd wimped out. he'd let Jesus down terribly. And he felt terrible about what he'd done. And now Jesus is asking him for this agape love, this kind of love which means that Peter will never, ever let him down again. Peter wasn't sure that he could do that. He'd already let Jesus down once. He wasn't sure that he wouldn't do it again. And so all he could offer him was his brotherly affection. You know, I was thinking, we can be exactly the same as that. Jesus is asking for our commitment that we would even die for him. You know, he said to his disciples, if you want to be my disciples, you have to be willing to take up your cross to follow me. You know what that means? It means you need to be willing to die for me. But because of our past failings, we're not sure that we can honestly give him that commitment. We would like to say, yes, Lord, I will die for you. But how do any of us really know? until the time comes. We've let Jesus down before. We'll probably let him down again. And so all Peter could commit to was, Jesus, I'm affectionate towards you. I love you. And that was enough for Jesus. Because Jesus would do the rest. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon Peter and filled him with courage and boldness that he had never had before. And eventually, Peter would be martyred for Jesus. You know what he said Jesus said? And you will stretch out your hands and take you where no one, where you don't want to go. Do you know where that was? Peter himself was crucified. He was killed for Jesus. But there on that beach, he wasn't that man. Peter was weak and broken and deeply ashamed of how he'd let Jesus down. And Jesus took him in all of his weaknesses and he gave him a new beginning. And when we stand before Jesus Christ and confess, Lord, I am weak, I've let you down, and I'm not sure that I won't do it again. I don't want to do it again. I want to give you my total commitment, but i failed you before. I'll probably do it again, but I love you, Lord. When we're honest with Jesus like that, he gives us a new beginning. But he also fills us with his Holy Spirit. If we ask, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit, give me strength, And help me to be the person that you want me to be. He does that. And that's why our new beginnings are so wonderful. We're not just set to replay our same old mistakes. You know, the saying, you know, if you just keep doing the same thing, what are you going to get? You're going to get the same results. But when the Holy Spirit comes into our life and fills us with the strength and power and love of God, we can truly be the new creations and our new beginnings can take us to new places with God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that you are the God of new beginnings. Lord, we have failed you in so many ways. And Lord, we ask that you would take us. Lord, on this New Year's Day, we want to say to you, Lord, we love you. Lord, we love you a little, but we want to love you more. And Lord, I ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. Make us stronger in faith. Make us stronger in love. And Lord, help us to become the people who you want us to be. To follow the path that you have set for our feet. not just for this year, for the rest of our lives, Lord. Amen.